Hey there, it's Ben, and I've been wanting to do this episode for a little while now since the books came out, but no particular time sprung up. Now I was able to wrangle two people who have the books, have read them, and able to have a good discussion on. Buckle up for our discussion of Rise of the Separatists and the Collapse of the Republic. And if you want to help us out financially, you can at patreon.com slash way. If you want to help us out otherwise, let people know about us on Reddit, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Thank you, and now on to the show. Sitting down on the scrap fields of Genosis, I open the cargo holds for our crew to start searching for rare technology. Sending my two lieutenants out into the field with their bogwing brand blasters. I know there's a lot of scrap here, but <coughs> ugh, ugh, I keep getting dust in my eyes and in my mouth, and this whole planet is giving me the creeps. It's like a graveyard here. Ugh, this kind of mission is for droids. Speaking of, is that an old factory over there? Might be able to, <coughs> might be able to find some good parts in in there. Although I don't think it's been in operation since the rise of the separatists. <laughs> Welcome to this explosive tale from the Hydean Way. I'm your host Ben Yendel with special guests Christine Chester and Adam Beltane. This week we are talking about. Two supplements that have come out for the Star Wars role-playing game that really are a pair and deserve to be talked about together and not individually. While, yes, you can use either of them to enhance your game, go for the time period that they are encapsulating, the two of them together make a much stronger pairing, especially when you're adding them on to Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, or Force and Destiny. And those two are Rise of the Separatists and Collapse of the Republic. Or as I call them, the Obi-Wan book and the Anakin book. Hmm. That's what's on the front. Yeah, I call Dawn of Rebellion the Kanan book. Uh, yes. That's fair. Fair. Very Do, fair. So really, every book needs a Jedi. That way we can just reference the books by the Jedi in the front, right? Is Mace, is Mace Windu or, or Yoda on one of them? I think Mace is on Knights of Fate. Yeah, I think so. Okay. All the books have a character on the front. I just... These ones are recognizable. And, like, there's no reason for them not to be. Like, they are absolutely should be. Like, you've got one, a near-perfect Anakin and a near-perfect Obi-Wan. Mm. Well, yeah. uh, you might want to split hairs and say that's a near-perfect Vader. Yeah. But yeah, at that point in time, it's before the metal went in. I think we can still we can still keep him Anakin, just about. This brings up the first thing that I'm wanting to call out for these books, which, like usual for Fantasy Flight games, has incredible, near disturbing qualities of art. Oh, it really it. do. Oh, just breathtaking. In Rise of the Separatists, there's a just off in the corner picture of Sheev Palpatine just late at night in the Chancellor room. It's phenomenal. The amount on the interior arts 
is there's a boatload of those artists and I can't quite get into reading them all now. Otherwise we wouldn't get anything else done. But some of these pieces, like the what the piece on page forty nine of the start of uh, in Rise of the Separatists, the like the assault on the Citadel with clones and Jedi scaling up top, and the ATTEs trying to climb up, and it's they're just Phenomenal. some gorgeous and very inspiring pieces. I feel like for adventures, in terms of thinking about it as more than just a standard battlefield. Just the frontispiece of both books, as mm-hmm. as you open, oh the, yeah, and just that two page spread of the clones and the Jedi's, well, the full might of the Grand Army, of the Republic, advancing on a line of battle droids, is just stunning. That's poster quality. I'd have that on my wall. Well, you also noticed uh, in both books the you have the front, and then on the back we have like the darker side of things. Like it's, I, I love that comparison and contrast for the it's the same piece but the two different sides i was wanting to give a shout out to crystal chang preston stone melissa Seater, and tony brett the art direction and managing art directors for the two books they did truly wonderful direction on this and the artist lived up to the quality that FFG has become known for. Yeah, they've done a phenomenal job. Just, as you say, so evocative, so many of these pieces. Just beautiful, beautiful artwork. In my sphere of people that I listen to about Star Wars, I know several people who picked up these two books because they like the prequel trilogy, not because they like role-playing games. And they're getting it almost exclusively for the art. All this other stuff in it's cool, but they're getting it for the art. Yeah. And I wouldn't blame them. Yeah, the Sheev one that I was talking about is on page 87 of Rise of the Separatists. Like usual with an FFG piece, the art is fantastic. What else do we have to say about these books? On on a crunch perspective, on the rules perspective, I really, really like the focus on the clone careers. I think they're really because in dawn of rebellion we had the retired clone trooper as a universal specialization yes i know it kind of had to have it in because it's such a focal thing of the clone wars era but across these two books you've got six really it's a fully fleshed out career six specializations the the species itself all the equipment for it and I really love how they've captured the flavor of the clones because so many of their talents set up other clones to do better or assist your squad. Yep. That that brotherhood, that link is baked in right from the very start. It's, it is a masterpiece of design, getting the flavor right in amongst the crunch. I really, really like how that all works. And I like how the specializations are staggered where in the first book you've got like there's just the standard clone trooper um the it's the clone uh it's the clone um it's the pilot isn't it and the, it's um, the pilot yeah, the and it's not the commander the it's the commander yeah clone officer, officer sorry officer clone yeah. officer in rise of the separatists then you get the arc trooper clone commander and clone veteran in fall of the republic yeah yeah and i do like Labs. that I mean, there's the clear progression of experience there between the two books. But at the same token, 
I think you could quite easily tell a good um, Rise of the Separatists kind of start of the Clone Wars game and still having that a clone veteran, one of the first ones decanted. They were there at the Battle of Geonosis at the very start and they've been put in with a group of shinies because they were the only one that's left from that initial wave. Well, it it does such a good job of making each of them feel similar but very different. Uh, I actually got to play a clone trooper alongside several other clone troopers in a in a brief campaign, and I remember going in being worried because, like you know, oh, all of us have clanker killer and first among brothers and some of these like repeat talents, but it it felt so good that we had those things in common. But like our veteran did not feel like my officer. Mm-hmm. So he was either yeah. sniping or running into melee and he had a very different like set of tactics and like he played it more like the the scout type mm. and it worked okay. brilliantly for that i also love how they've taken a few staple talents uh for the clones like brace and found a way to make them oh a, yeah a squad related talent like yeah, e- yeah. even your base clone trooper has ways to support his allies and make them better yeah, even if they're not with another squad of clothes, is it um is it Supreme Brace where not only do they get the benefits of Brace, but so does every ally in short range? Uh, yeah. yes, yes, I think that's Supreme. Uh yeah. way, yes, impro- Improve is. lets you, I think, remove more for longer. Yeah, Supreme is like, yeah, everybody, we're just not gonna worry about this dust storm or whatever <laughs> is kicked up. The clankers have to worry about it, but we're gonna be good. Like me being the GM that I am and me being the rules lawyer I am, get really into one of the things in here that is really cool to me. The clone commander and the clone officer are complementary. They are not a essentially reprint. Mm-hmm. And to me, that means a lot. Because mm-hmm. you can have an officer and you can have a commander within the same roleplay party, and they're not doing the same stuff. Big picture versus small picture. Exactly. Like well, it's Cody and Rex, isn't it? How often were those two together, both still doing their own thing, their own sphere of influence? Complementary, but not overlapping, not stealing the limelight from each other. So if you wanted to run a higher end, kind of a, a more top of the food chain, especially if you're looking at the two of them and you've got Jedi General in from um, uh, Fall, uh, Collapse of the Republic, you could have one player as your Jedi General, then their clone commander, then their clone officer as the command group and almost kind of almost war game, kind of that that higher. Yeah. Uh, something else I love just as much as you can have those those different specializations in the same party together, you also could have them on the same character. And have it feel good. You can yeah. have the trooper become the veteran later on. You can have the officer mm-hmm. become the commander and grow their perspectives, or obviously the Padawan becoming the knight in terms of the Jedi yeah. career. You don't often see that where the specs are very much a, yeah, you might start here and then go there. Yeah, and for the clones, it absolutely feels like a lot of thought was put into it, mm-hmm. or at least some thought was put into the players doing a long war long campaign mm-hmm. like where you do start off as shinies and continue on like that is absolutely supported by these specializations it's great one of the other things that i quite like is 
because with the clones in there and the clone careers and the Jedi careers, you've got Republic diplomats and that sort of stuff. There is a real focus, I feel, that you are supposed to be playing on the side of the Galactic Republic, really. Yeah. But yes. then in um, Collapse the Republic, you've got Separatist Commander, which is a really fun career as well. It's a universal specialization. And you could you could have just as much fun, I think, instead of your party of clones as having your separatist commander and everybody else playing battle droids. And I think yeah, you could still that, have an awful lot of fun with that party. Yeah. That could be a pretty fun one, yes. Or the twist, and I think this is why this is in collapse, of great, your Clone Wars campaign reached the its conclusion or whatever. Now we're rolling into something else. Oh yeah, your Jedi survived Order 66. Now that Separatist commander is your best friend. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, oh yeah, Order 66 happened. Yeah. Now we see. Moving kind of away, but also still around the idea of like characters and stuff. Rise of the Separatist has an interesting idea. I Well, a couple I, I quite like. Uh, one of which is troop play, where it actually is the sort of storytelling that encourages um, people picking up some different characters here and there, or maybe playing multiple characters. You know, maybe you have your, your senators and your commanders and your generals and your higher picture people. And then once the plans are made, you go and play an old clone trooper party that's going in to actually conduct the mission. Almost starts magically where, yeah, you have your, your, you have your two PCs, you have your mage that, that makes the decisions, then you have your mook that goes off and does the mookery. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting style, but it's very much supported in the Clone Wars show that mm-hmm. you have like the high-end planning stuff and then you've got the like clones that go out and actually do the things that are actually in the thick of it. It can make it a much more engaging through line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like from a story, it's a really cool idea. It can also, I think, replicate things we see in the Clone Wars cartoon, such as rookies, where mm. hey, this one day the GM goes, "Hey guys, yeah, uh, <laughs> can you not play Obi Wan and Anakin this time beyond a brief guest appearance? I want you to make brand new clones, shinies. We're gonna tell their story, and what spoilers? All oh, but two of them don't make it." And it's like, the yeah. last two, they're like, you know what? We love these guys. They're going to keep popping up as NPCs for a while. And they even get some other stories of their own. They get used again. When you take a look at an episodic style campaign, normally those two things are hard to do, to combine. Like the episodic nature and the campaign, because episodic mean, generally means like an end coming. It turns more into a procedural to use TV lingo. And so everything at the end is pretty much the same as it was at the beginning. Having the ability to do those one-shots like rookies, where, yeah, most of them die, but there's still the story that went on, where you can still have consequences from it, but the greater story is continuing on. is really interesting. Like, another idea being a group of clones, but the GM not pulling any punches on clones dying mm. because like clones were dying about as fast as battle droids. Yeah. Going through and yeah, having two clone troopers survive out of a large clone contingent. 
that's not entirely uncommon. So then you've got the new clones that are replacing the old ones and always having the ability to have those shinies in there. Mm. Or like what uh, you all were talking about a little bit earlier, there's nothing, there's nothing stopping you from having your Republic point of view and then your Separatist point of view. Yeah. Mm. That would be interesting. Yeah. You you could even almost have them vying for the same prize and competing mm-hmm. against themselves, but not even real. A particularly wicked GM could have that without them <laughs> even realizing it. They're both after something hidden in the sector. Yeah. And the, the, the two sides not know exactly what it is, but in the end, yeah, they're, they're chasing for the same MacGuffin. And then you decide amongst the players, like, which group do you want to have this? And that group goes and runs the adventure to get it. And the other group has to deal with the fallout of the enemy side now having the MacGuffin. Oh. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that. When you're describing that, I was almost thinking the same players playing both sides. You could potentially do that as well. Yeah. You they could still be you playing, you know, it against yourself because the the entire party may not might not agree on like what you know they may not meta it and figure out oh I want so and so to win it could be like no let's just see, play these characters see how this turns out and it could be a beautiful disaster. Mm. It's such a simple idea, but I really love that they talk about it in uh, in Rise. Uh, the other thing that they do in Rise is they reprint the squad rules. From yep. Dead in the Water, and I at least I got to play around with them, especially there uh, for for the Clone Wars game, and it did a beautiful job of representing the like the clones around you, and allowing characters to survive things like auto fire hits from heavy repeaters <laughs> on Droid to Cuz and things like that, but yeah. still make the consequences feel feel right, mm. feel real. Mm. Yeah, it really works well for representing the, uh, you know, the plain white armored clones that are hanging out with you going through these adventures. And especially if you're like me and you love pain, of course, you're going to name every single (laughs) clone that's traveling with you. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) That way, when somebody gets hit, it's not like, oh, no, that clone, clone number three died. It's like, no, Sparks. No, get you out of here, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah just hold on just hold on we need a medic over here yeah that's i it's it's been a bit since i um i read that and i i'd forgotten about the squad rules and i'd not i'd not encountered them before because i've not played any any um age of rebellion and dead in the water was a while ago last time i listened to it so i'd completely forgotten about those they're cool in each of the gm books They've added a little bit of optional rules. The Age of Rebellion one was the squad rules. I've only got the Force and Destiny one. And I think, Mm -hmm. is that lightsaber crafting that's in there? I believe so. Yeah, I think so. Which then gets reprinted anyway in much more detail in, I think, Knight's Fate? One of the splat books, which I have read a while ago. It's in there. What what's in the um, Edge of the Empire one? Technically, it's the expanded Nemesis rules, which also show up in here, where the like warg in Heroes, where they take a extra NPC turn at the end of a round. Ah, uh, okay. I didn't know that was an optional rule. I had it in my head, and I think I had it in my head because I learned how to play this game from listening to podcasts, and oh, every GM 
that has had like a big scary nemesis has used that rule so i think my brain just went no that is how the rule works well there we are from edge that's one of the two optional rules that i absolutely adore the other one is anti-starfighter weaponry which is in the edge core book that is and never found anywhere else which i'm very sad about which is your point defense weapons effectively are two silhouette sizes lower for the purposes of hitting anything Nice. Yeah, Which th- then makes point defense weapons so much more deadly. Yeah. Well, actually useful. They serve the purpose they're supposed to be serving. My only quibble with the squad rules is I don't think the how much they add to what your character can do is enough, but that's truly a quibble. The effect of them, especially in a combat of like having squaddies falling around you for things it's great yeah there's an emotional sucker punch exactly well then the corollary to that is and collapse they reprint the mass combat rules mm. yep i was gonna bring that up which i am glad that they did that as well because that's the other other side of that coin in terms of representing mm-hmm. the the greater scope yeah and we de- we definitely use those rules a lot in uh, in friends like these. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I remember those ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean those rules were the reason why a lot of the people I know who have friends like these have friends like these because that was the first place you could get them. Having them in multiple places that are not necessarily ones where other people are going to find them is great because this way. You can have a pure Force and Destiny campaign. Like, all you've got is the Force and Destiny core book and these two books. And, hey, look, that's all we need. Yeah. And that's great. That's how these books need to be. So they also reprint Force powers and things of that nature. Works out really well. There's also just very comprehensive NPC stats in both these books. Yeah. And that, it was a change that started happening in Dawn of Rebellion. And... Mm. Considering the level that they're trying to do for these campaigns, it makes sense. As much as I quibble, there's only one actual step lock that I really question why. But it isn't in either of these, so no one matters. <laughs> okay. Don't understand a Death Star step lock. Oh, yes. Oh, th- that was it's just, just so to be silly. funny. I can yeah. guarantee it. it was just to be funny. Because somebody yeah. was like, all right, how ridiculous can this be? No GM should ever actually use that. Thing. My thing is it's never ridiculous enough. Yeah, that's probably true. It's like the one million clones. I think there's a matter of scale here. Yeah. Yes. There are more than one million clones. Come on, y'all. Just don't pick out a big number and think that is big enough. You sound like Dr. Evil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there really aren't enough enough clones. Something else that they do from a character perspective between both books is uh, what they reintroduce the concept of of like night level play, or I think they just call it heroic level play. Yes. And these books encourage starting characters with higher levels of XP and going to ridiculous heights. Like I love that there is a, a couple of pages and collapse of the Republic that tries to give some advice for, (laughs) for running for high level, like high, high XP characters, because you want to be able to feel like Obi-Wan or Anakin or Captain Rex at the later points in in like the show or you know the start of revenge of the sith you want to be awesome and you kind of need to be because 
there are a lot of very deadly things that yes. can go after you in this in this battlefield. So much. Auto fire is no joke. As a, uh, an adjunct to that, the fast tracking to force rating two, I think it is, where you just like, no, if you're playing a Jedi Knight or anything that's not a Padawan, just spend, I think it's 15 XP and you're at force rating two, just 30 XP. Is it 30? Just crack on. Yeah. Just crack yeah. on yeah. and get into those higher careers because it's it's fun time now. It is time to put on your big trousers and go out there and kick some ass. And you're not going to do yeah. that with force rating one and, <laughs> and the first rank of enhance. Go on. It's at that point, like, personally, I would just run flat heroic level play. Give the players 150 experience. If you want to be a Jedi Master and go Padawan, Knight, Master, fill your boots. But I'm also wanting to then give the same level of experience to all my clone troopers it's getting skipped over. Absolutely. I, I, the main area where I found that the for, this force rating rule can can be beneficial is if you have or if you want to have both a like a knight and a padawan in the same party, because then that at least provides an avenue to make the two characters feel a little bit more different, since it costs a little less XP for the knight to get to the night stuff as opposed to dabbling in some of the same Padawan talents. But the flip side is if a knight is training a Padawan, they themselves have been a Padawan and thus they should have some things in common. So it's, Mm. it's all a matter of what direction you want to take with those characters. So I, I personally like that. It's a, it's an option, but I kind of agree with Ben in the fact that it shouldn't always be an option. It should be a, yeah, we, we kind of need this for that differentiation. And to be sure, there is definitely the proviso in it with the GM's permission Yes, part to it right before the spend 30 experience of their starting XP. If I'm wanting to do a high-level thing where everyone can be knights or, like, it then becomes a character choice whether they're wanting to play a Padawan or a knight. And that's more where I'm interested in it. Mm. But yeah, if you're wanting to jump up to being a knight or a general, yeah, fill your boots, do whatever you're wanting. Mm-hmm. I like also the characters that have the chance to be the Republic Naval Officer or the Senator Universal Spec really speaks to me. It's a very interesting one for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Like That's the entire reason why I prefer having it so that it's a level playing field. Yeah. I quite like that the senator is designed to be used for either side of the conflict as well. Yep. It's another nice, yeah, as you say, universal spec in, in the full sense of the word. Um, I think that can open up some very interesting stories there. Like you can tell the Collapse of the Republic was a book that they never really had the initial plan to make. And what I mean by that is these two books really feel like, like just reading them, feels like they started off making one book. There were so many good ideas that came that they had enough left over to make a second book out of. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's when you get things like the Death Watch Warrior talent tree. I'd argue that should be a Mandalorian warrior tree, but but hot. I really wish it would be. Like getting the Night Sister one. Yeah, I was going to say the Night Sister one. I'm so glad it's finally here because I really like it. But I, 
I, I know the point you're about to make, so I'm going to let you make it and know that I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> the specializations within it are phenomenal, and each one is so evocative of what it can be. Even the Rise of the Separatist Force Universal one, it was like the Force-sensitive outcast. Mm. I I just love it. It's uh, That's the one with like the Renegade style and... Yeah, exactly. The Renegade form is a talent that is amazing, which is take this talent that when you take it, choose a attribute to have your lightsaber skill based on. It's so nice to not have to then pigeonhole yourself towards a lightsaber spec if you want to be good with it. it this is yeah. very much the Ventress uh, style spec to me in some some respects. I like that. I like its mix of things. It has a little bit of that fighting dirty and then it also has the fundamentals of of being a lightsaber wielder primarily. See, I could also go with it being a mall spec too. Yes. Oh, I, I, I could see that as well, yeah. It's interesting. The Republic representative is another interesting one, which is separate from the senator one, and distinct in how it would be effective. Yes, they're both kind of the talky one, but the senator is a lot more Padme Amidala in the Clone Wars versus uh, the Republic representative is a lot more of the person who's standing back. And actually being more on Coruscant versus being more in the field and trying to do negotiations. The universal specs within both books are really amazing. I, I think that the, the bit that um, I was going to say, and I, I wasn't sure if you were going to um, make it is, I just get a little bit like, uh, the Night Sister is a universal spec because I really like it. And I'm a bit like, ah, but if, I, if my character concept is going to be a Night Sister, I don't want to have to pay the XP tax to be a night sister, but I suppose that you could always have a word with your GM and be like, could I take that as my primary spec for my career and just swap out a spec or something like that? It's maybe. only 20 XP. It's not that much to dive into it. And it also can give you an interesting foundation depending on how you got into the night sister spec. I'll give you that, but I'm reminded of Barrowin that other than two or three talents, Berwin didn't use Gadgeteer much at all and functionally could have started off in Martial Artist. Mm. If you take a look at building the character at the end versus at the beginning when you don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. like There is the, okay, I'm going to be a Night Sister. I have somewhere for different specs. What do I want to be? Like, there's so many different kinds that it can be. You've even got the choice of, is it Age, Edge, or Force and Destiny that I'm starting off with? Mm-hmm. I suppose, yeah, you could always go the the, um, the Alchemist or something to represent the training at the hands from other Talzin, and then go yeah. into Night Sister for your primary spec. But As universal specs, they're really interesting, but there is also the aspect of they are universal specs, so they aren't tied into a career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a 20 XP cost to it, but it's somewhat disappointing as well, at least to me, that unless you're, at least from these books, unless you're playing as either a clone or a Jedi, you're having to pay a tax to be something else. Mm. Right. Like, I understand why mechanically, because they didn't want to create a new career just to have these things in and 
especially because you've got the force user who isn't a Jedi, which you've got two of, you've got two senators, you've got the scavenger and you've got the death watch warrior. So you've got really like four different things in there that you can't really attach to any career. Mm. It makes sense for them to be universal, but there's also the inherent aspect of it being separate and thus it's the entire reason why I would boost the starting experience by like 2030 if anyone was looking outside of uh, doing any of the main careers. I suppose right. you could also look at if say someone wanted to play like the diplomat or the um, the senator you could mm-hmm. also you could always maybe look at the age of rebellion is it diplomat is the overarching yes. career yes and if there's there's one of those specializations that doesn't fit the game because it's definitely it is a it is a post collapse career that in flavor you could see an argument for for swapping that out i think that that's i know i mentioned that before i think that's probably what i'd end up doing i'd look at that and mm-hmm. go no this is so it limits your options that way but it can, of course, that's something that you'd you'd have to be building your characters manually rather than using something like Ogdude because I don't I don't know whether or not Ogdude would have it. But and yeah, like say you're going to be a senator or a republic representative, basing it on like the ambassador or the advocate mm. totally makes sense. You do get a lot of complimentary reaction to it. It's the one part where I'm sort of wishy washy on the whole. Uh, experience because of it somewhat not exactly traps you but it diverts you or at least diverts some experience into well I'm more willing to play this but I've got to do this other stuff before it's like that 25 point grit that Mm. Brandon kept on going about in Ship Captain yeah like there's there's reasons for it to be there but at least sitting back from the action, there's reason to grouse about it. Eh, yeah, I I guess I uh, maybe it's just because the it doesn't have that like out of career tax to me. When I look at the twenty XP for like grabbing your your second spec, it just it doesn't impact me the same way. But then again, I'm also the kind of player who does something like cool, I want to play a clone officer, but, uh, you know, they got their position because a bunch of their officers got killed and they got promoted from trooper. So I'll start trooper and then cross back in the officer. That's how my brain works. But I know that's not how everybody, everybody works. So I, I think your, your suggestion about being able to plug in a universal spec in place of a, a spec from another tree would work fine if somebody wants to like homebrew it and get there a little bit faster. But like the clone officer from the veteran or clone officer from the trooper is at least staying within a career. And as we said earlier, it's, it's a logical progression up. So yeah, yeah, you'd you'd get your 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 hit. But I don't think I'd. But the XP is the same. Yeah, but I don't think I'd begrudge it as much hmm. because if that's the way I was looking, I'd have the idea because I'd I'd be coming in going. The character I want to play is this, and this is their backstory, and this is how they got to there. But if what I want to play is a Mandalorian Death Watch warrior, then I don't know whether or not I'd be as happy going, but I've got to start off as Gadgeteer or something else under Bounty Hunter and then buy into it 
or I want to play a Night Sister, and that's that's who my character is, right? But I need to work out which career I'm never going to spend any XP in, or very unlikely to spend any XP in. I need to start off as just so I can then spend my twenty XP to get into the character I actually want to play. Hmm. I I think I'd resent it less if I knew that there was a progression. Am I willing to be a Mandalorian commando, Death Watch soldier, and have to go through almost the entire line for it? Yes, it does absolutely open up, well, what is your base for it? What is your story on getting there? But if it was just motivations and duties and obligations and the like, that's one thing. But then having to have a complete second talent tree... Mm. Like it's it is absolutely different styles of play, but it's one of the things that just sort of screamed out is there was a decision to make the Jedi specializations work for someone who's wanting to jump right into it. And then they're not doing a similar thing for the universal specs. Mm. I know it seems a little weird for it but to me it does have at least a slight smell of unfairness to it Uh, that's fair you're you're right they did give a tool to make it easier to start with some other specs but they didn't do the same here with the universal specs like maybe maybe there should be some kind of optional rule to like you know already printed in the book to plug in that universal spec in place of another career spec or to have a, a further discount or something so we've talked about specs, universal specs, and that sort of stuff. What else in the books are we liking? Because I sort of seem think that we've gotten a little bit, not exactly sidetracked, but... <laughs> modular encounters. Yes. The modular encounter on Dathomir, I find, is better than Ghost of Dathomir. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I, I just I love bite-sized adventure hooks and ideas. Because when I, when I try to run a full adventure, like I've run Jewel of Yavin before... Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really quite work for my game mastering style. But meanwhile, the modular encounters in the back of Sons of Fortune, I have run every single one of them because every single one was gold to me in some way, even if I had to change mm-hmm. it around some. So I love it when they give me a few little ideas and I can grab it and go throw that toy in my play box and we're, we're off to the races. Mixing metaphors, whatever. <laughs> Um, so I'm really glad that in addition to like the planet information and stuff, they put a little idea for something that might be going on there and how to get the party involved. I gotta say, I was sorely tempted to use the uh, modular encounter for Felucia on the Heroes for Series 3. Because mm. I moved where the players were starting. <laughs> yeah, all of them are these nice little chunks that they're adventure ideas. They're not complete things. They're definitely there for you to flesh out, which is the kind of adventure hook I like. Where it's not trying to be a little thing that I just open up the book and run. It's, I have to put my own spin on it. Mm. That's the level of modular encounter I love, and that is the kind that's in here. I like quite a lot of the equipment, and I really like the, if you're a clone, you can just spend this and get your standard clone layout. Oh, the standard layouts are great. It's just oh, yeah. uh, so easy. And they're such fun toys, too. They are. Oh, yes. And I really like that 
Collapse of the Separate uh, Collapse of the Republic has Carcadons in. I don't know why I like them so much. They are very silly. They have hearts. They have hearts as well. They're just two really, really. I I don't know why, but those are just two species that I look at and they make me smile. And yeah, this book has them. I mean that that alone is a selling point for me, if nothing else. I think given the only thing that kind of chafes me a little bit with the species the species between the two books is this. You really can't play Collapse of the Republic without Rise of the Separatists. You can run Rise of the Separatists as itself, but there is too much stuff contained within Rise of the Separatists to let you play it, to let you play Collapse of the Republic on its own, is my controversial take. What do you feel is missing? Really, like the, the starting careers... So the starting clone trooper career, the starting just a flat Jedi career that I think that going off what you were saying about the, the, the kind of the character progression, mm-hmm. they are ones that I do think you need that, that character progression. I, I don't know if it would feel right to me as a player coming straight in as like, I don't know, like as a clone veteran or something without any kind of leading or an arc trooper because becoming an arc trooper is supposed to be a real badge of honor for a clone and i'd like to have that story and because of that i the fact that the clone is in both books i kind of wish that they hadn't put clone in collapse the republic and put another species and i don't even know what particularly i just think i would have liked to have seen another new species but like that is it. That is that is it. That's my sole kind of thing about the species. I think doubling up on clones was a bit wasteful. But yeah, to be honest, the rest of the books are so good. It's such a minor. It's such a petty niggle. I feel like I'm reaching for something to be niggled about. <laughs> and to be fair, that's also the level that I feel my uh, complaint about the universal specializations is at. Mm-hmm. It's something that is definitely there, but it's not something where I'm going to say don't buy this book for. Like I absolutely get what you're saying about not having a lower grade or even just lower officer level of clone or lower officer or lower level of Jedi. Like it would have been nice to have a low level one, like a level where you could theoretically start off in one to the other, to the other. I I can okay I I see your see your points because I it doesn't feel as weird to me for the clones I can make justifications but it does feel odd for the two Jedi specs in here like mm. I I would feel really strange taking a general or a master to a table out of the gate even using the like the little force rules like it feels like you you should be building off of the Padawan or the Knight that's my only real quibble with is like it really would have been nice to have another intermediary or Mm -hmm. starting level of character for the Jedi and also another actual high level one because the general's at the same level as a knight Mm -hmm. it just would have been nice for that to be a full six spec career instead of the four I, I think it works okay as the four but it would have been nice to have a couple more options and this is another thing of it being two books instead of one book. If it was one book, I don't think we'd have this. No, we wouldn't. Yeah. It's because it's sold as two books that we get the practical bit of, well, some of this is in Rise of the Separatists, some of this is in Collapse of the Republic. 
to my mind, you really should get the set. Or if you're getting just one, go for Rise of the Separatists first. Yeah. Because in mm -hmm. there, it's got everything for doing during the Clone Wars. Yes. Whereas Collapse does have some helpful tools and ideas and stuff for running a, like, an end of the Clone Wars or Dark Times campaign. But it is a, with the solely with the tools in this book, it's a little bit more limited in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. But it does have saber canes. So, yes. I mean, who doesn't want saber canes? Certainly not me. I wouldn't want a saber cane. I'd want a saber cane. I do think that along with Dawn of Rebellion, these three source books are among my favorites. Like the only the only other FFG Star Wars source book that I have anywhere near as much love for is Special Modifications. And that's because Special Mods <laughs> is just the best source book ever. I lived in that book last season. Yeah, I'm living in it now. It's just so good. <laughs> as setting books go, as as rule supplements go, these are, have raised the bar. I really, really like them. I think they're just so evocative. There's so many good ideas in here. And it's a great, it's such a full and interesting period of time to play in. Did either of you have the thing happen where these books came out and you didn't really become aware of it till later? Like, oh, well, this is the thing. Oh, this is really neat. Because <laughs> that, that's what happened to me. I was haunting FFG's site for seven years, six years, something mm -hmm. like that. So news of books coming out and being at different stages of release was sort of my thing. So no, I didn't really have the chance to. Collapse the Republic, I wasn't aware of. Rise of Separatist site, I someone had tagged me in when they first made the announcement and I was like, uh, yes, please. And then, like, <laughs> when I found out Collapse of the Republic was coming out, that was the one that was like, oh, oh, there's a sequel. Score! Take my money. <laughs> like, yes, the setting books that have come out are great. They truly are. I really like the fact, and it's something that, that was raised earlier on, that you could get your core book, and one of these setting books, by which I mean Dawn of Rebellion or this pair, and yeah. and you'd be you'd be good to go pretty much you'd be good to go anything else after that is just gravy i mean that almost was the case with uh hero series two yeah mm. that's the thing that i like about the settings books is that especially these two is there is enough in these two books where you could get each rebellion have all the rest of the expanded clone stuff in there because you've got the military-esque campaigns you've got the diplomat and all that sort of stuff for there but then you've got enough of the force powers between what's in Rise of the Separatists and in the book for Age of Rebellion to actually have a good campaign and have a force-filled campaign where you don't have to just feel that, well, I've only got these two powers. Yeah, because yeah, the, the force powers that are in these ones and in both Age and Edge, it's the really iconic ones, I seem to recall. Isn't it, isn't it Enhance, mm -hmm. move, and influence. The three, the, like the big three. I think it is because I think I think it's only force and destiny that you get the real breadth of force and that sort of stuff. Force and destiny gets most. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Edge of the Empire gets influence, move, and sense, and Age of Rebellion gets force enhance. But like, they are they are the iconic ones, though, really, aren't they? Because it's mm -hmm. I, I I don't know how you could play, especially if you're playing a Clone Wars game. I don't know how you could play. 
any Jedi class and not have a reasonable high rank in both Enhance and Move because it seems that every single Jedi character in the Clone Wars cartoons and the films has Enhance and Move. Not all of them have sense, not all of them have influence, but they all have Enhance and Move to reasonable levels. Pretty much. And they are fun powers, in fairness. (laughs) They are the fun powers. About this pair of books, is there anything else that the two of you are wanting to bring up for our listeners? Play a clone trooper. It's fun. That's that's all I got as well. Play a clone trooper. They look amazing. And um, and I wholeheartedly trust Christine's recommendation that they're fun. I miss you talk back. <laughs> My final thing is they're a great pair. And the amount of stuff that it adds to it. If you're looking for ships, it's got all the ships. If you're looking for weapons, it's got all the weapons. If you're looking for armor, it's got all the armor. It's even got good descriptions and sidebars on about Mandalorian armor. It's got the NPCs. Yeah. It's got the NPCs. It's got all the droids. It has a reason for using the NPCs. And yeah, the back of it has back of each book has sections on these are all the uh, droids. It has droid brains for flying ships. Mm. Yes. Yes. We didn't even touch on the vehicle sections, how cool those are. The amount of stuff that's in these two books is just phenomenal. I cannot recommend them enough. Best books about the prequel trilogy that I've read since Ahsoka. Hmm. I still need to read that. I still need to read that. Yes, yes, you do. I need to finish season seven, of which I've been finally catching up, and then I need to go read Ahsoka. Uh, yes. On, on our rewatch, we've just started season three again because I've seen mm. one through five. So six and seven are both new to me. So it's just <laughs> getting. We're juggling oh, a lot of shows at the moment just to kind of keep our mm. interest up. Oh, so th- three is when it really comes into its own, I feel like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's also the point where it almost lost me, but yes, it is also where it comes into its own. Mm. Three is where they bring back Maul. Yes. Yeah. And until I watch those the conceptual part was just I did not like the entire concept of bringing back Maul mm-hmm. and it still feels indulgent yeah but he is a very cool character oh yes I mean I just love the entire concept of a character that kept alive because of how much he hated Kenobi and the amount of energy that Sam Witwer brings to the character is just phenomenal mm. and just that cold menace as well mm-hmm. well that can go hot yes and it's like the cold menace is them trying to do it and then every now and then you see where they go hot and it's phenomenal yeah one of the really interesting things has been seeing ek johnston on twitter as she watches the clone wars because she's the one who wrote the ahsoka book ah. and she's the one who's writing the handmaidens books queen's shadow and queen's peril Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to pick yeah. those up. She's E.K. Johnson's really a good author. Red Master and Apprentice, it's a good book. Just I, I just finished that one, and I um, so I I adore Claudia Gray. That's why I went and read this book because I <laughs> I, I really really love Lost Stars, and she killed it for me. And, and Bloodlines, like it's so good. Oh yeah. And so I basically I. You know, she's the one Star Wars author where I've gone, okay, you know what? If she puts it out there, I will read it. Master and Apprentice, I feel like, is the weakest work I read from her. 
she did a good job of capturing Fair. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's voices and the overall like planet that they're dealing did. with and the situation's interesting. And yet it didn't really hook me until like a hundred pages from the end. It just felt like we were going through the motions for a lot of things. It didn't, it didn't grab me the same way. Yeah. That really sums up my experience with it as well. Soon coming from the Hydean way books of the Hydean way. <laughs> now that is one you will get Leslie talking about. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. That I'm mildly joking about. Okay, I know that we had to get through an Imperial blockade to get here with a whole fleet worth of Star Destroyers, but I've heard this is where you can get the truly, truly rare metals. Just wait for the ramp to get fully down before going up. There's a lot of lava around here and there. Lava? Ben, this isn't what I signed up for. Each of these recovery missions just gets more and more dangerous. <sighs> From the dust bowl into the frying pan. I don't know about you two, but I am not built for temperatures like this. Why couldn't we go back to Hoth? There has not been anything worth looting from here since the collapse of the Republic. Join us next time on a wayfinding tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. You can find me, Christine, on Twitter at Twelfth Night. That's one two T H and Night with a K. I also have two D&D 5e actual play podcasts. The Glass Dagger, deep into its second season, can be found at completenight.com. That's also night with a K. And if you like uh, more Viking Norse flavor, Omen's Call can be found at omenscall.com. And you can find me, Adam, on Twitter at Madam Beltane. And you can find my show, Force Majeure, on Twitter at Force Majeure Pod. We are all at TheHydeanWay.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about on the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. If you want to get in touch, you can drop us a holocom at Tales at TheHydeanWay.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or you can give us coffee at ko-fi.com slash thehydeanway.